0: The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church.
1: Well, welcome here this morning. My name is Doug Friesen. I'm one of the pastors of this church. And uh, we are so looking forward to 2020, growing in our love of God and also growing in our love of each other. that's the way God has designed us is that love with him is paralleled with love for one another. And today, as you came in, in your bulletin, you saw a connecting point brochure, and uh, this tells you the main activities between now and May that are created to give you environments to get to know people in our church and grow in your love of Christ at the same time. So what I'd ask for you, of you is over the next week or two, look through this and look on your calendar and say, what are some things that I could invest myself in for me to get to know people, but also for me to give to people what God has given me? That's the best gift you have, is giving the life that Christ has given you and sharing that with others, and especially your church family. Two things I want to highlight is Growing in Grace is happening this Thursday. That's our seniors' lunch that takes place on Thursday. If you'd like to come, please sign up today so they can order the food. And then next Wednesday, Come to the Table Starts. That's our weekly meal here at the church, and that will go from... January 15th to the Wednesday before the Victoria long weekend and we always ask people to sign up by Sunday night again Because we order the food and then foods prepared Tuesday night Wednesday And uh, anyways, I hope as you look through this you're encouraged and you find one or two things that you'd like to attend Uh, On Sunday, January the 19th, we will be showing the movie Overcomers and that's a wonderful movie. It's a wonderful movie for your family. It's a wonderful movie for you to bring friends to. It clearly talks about what a relationship with Christ is like. And it's, not in a, it's, it's done very well. I'll say it that way. So if you're interested, please, Sunday, January the 19th, it starts here at 6 o'clock. Part of being church family is sharing our lives with each other. And I have the privilege of sharing with you a, a little bit of what God has, I believe, in store for me for the coming uh, weeks and months Uh, As a church, uh, every seven years, the church blesses us with, as pastors with a three-month sabbatical. And uh, July of this year, I celebrated my 21st year here, and so this is the year of my sabbatical. And so I will be taking March, April, May for that, and I've been able to combine enough holidays that I'll actually be leaving January 23rd. And so for every sabbatical we have, there's a a theme, uh, at least for me, I've always kind of had a theme of what I hope the Lord will do during this time. And during this sabbatical, I've been hoping to make a connection with Torchbearer Bible Schools, otherwise known as Capenry Bible Schools. Uh, They are really good schools to just provide, especially young people, an environment to get a foundation and thinking through what their relationship with Christ looks like, getting them grounded in scripture, grounded in community, grounded in service. Uh, One of the phrases that really stuck with me is, Jesus came not only to die for us, but to live in us. That alone, just hitting me at the age of 18 and saying, Lord, that's what I want. I want to know what life in you is all about. That's been a driving force of my life and I thank the Lord for that. So this sabbatical was hoping to make a connection with one of those schools. There's about 22 throughout the world. I went to the one in Germany and um, when I looked into it earlier, they said we don't invite guest speakers because of your resume or experiences, but just because of a personal knowledge of you. So I thought I might go back to Germany as an alumni and serve as a yard keeper, do whatever just so I could get to know people. And so not knowing all the plans, I thought, well, I think I'm going to go to Europe anyway, so let's start thinking of fun ways to get there. And the other thing that I really love is being in awe of God of nature. If you ask me how I have free time, if it's not with my friends, it's to be in awe of God in nature. And uh, there it is. And so... uh, Thinking about how could I get to Europe, I have a, a few things that are, I think I'm really looking forward to. Crossing the ocean, the beginning of March, taking a cruise from Fort Lauderdale to Barcelona. Then I'm taking a few days there, and then just with the backpack, going to the north part of Spain, and for 30 days walking across the north part of Spain is called the Camino de Santiago. And I think that's as close as I'm gonna be as walking with Jesus without any interruptions and just loving people as I meet them along the way, and hopefully have them love me as well. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that experience. And then from there, uh, my niece is actually going to fly down and meet me in Athens, and we're going to just travel Greece for a week. And then, by God's grace, last year, actually around this time, it was January 1st, I got a call based on a friendship, a newfound friendship in our church. Uh, Their friends were the principals of the school in Romania. And uh, last year, January 1st, I had a phone call from their friend, and we started talking, and throughout this year, we've been getting to know each other. And they've actually invited me to come and teach for the first week of May. So I will be the guest speaker then. And they've asked me to come and teach about what my heart really resonates with, who I am in Christ. And so I am so uh, thankful to God that I have the opportunity to travel. And as I do that, have my heart just be stirred about remembering the great privilege we have of being sons and daughters of Christ. And how that key reality should shape everything about us, every relationship we have. And uh, so I'd appreciate your prayers that the Lord will allow even my travel time to refine my thought life for as I teach. And uh, then I come home and I have one last little adventure for me before coming back. I plan to hop on my motorcycle and spend 10 days uh, heading towards Kelowna and driving. And again, just kind of that focus of being of awe of God of nature. And then I get back here on June the 9th. The thing that's somewhat miraculous for me in this whole situation As many of you know, uh, back in April uh, of 2017, I was diagnosed with uh, follicular lymphoma. It's a slow-growing cancer, and uh, I knew that it was in my throat and on my shoulder. I could feel the tumors there, and when they uh, did the test, they said it's all throughout your throat, it's all throughout your abdomen, it's all throughout your groin, and it's in your bone marrow, and uh, just averages is that it would be two years for chemo, and then uh, there's no cure for this type of cancer, but it's a slow-growing cancer. And so uh, life expectancy is actually quite good. Uh, but then my fatigue, the only real symptom I had outside of the tumors were, was fatigue, and it was getting worse till November. And I won't get too personable about the interaction I had with God during that time, but there was one time I just prayed, Lord, give me the health to see our church transition, and Lord, if you would, so that I can enjoy my sabbatical. Two weeks later, I went for my exam and uh, they came back to me and they said, your cancer has it not only not grown, it shrunk in half. And so that was, <laughs> <laughs> I, praise God for that. That was two years ago. I went uh, three weeks ago to see my oncologist again. She said, your blood work is still looking really good. She goes, we don't usually ask people to take tests when they don't need it, but people don't usually have their cancer, regret like it didn't. it's not removed, it's just receded. That's the better word. She said, would you mind if we would do the tests again come June, because that will be three years since your diagnosis. Most people have been through chemo by then already. We don't know what's happening in your body we'd like to see. And I said, yes. So you can just pray that God's testimony will still go through this process. I'm fully expecting that God didn't remove the cancer, he reduced it. So I am fully expecting that when I get back, it will just start doing what it would have done without God's intervention. Uh, But I don't know that. And so none of us know what our life holds except that our Father holds it for us. And our life is about keeping our eyes on Christ. And so with that, let me pray for us as the worship team comes up. Father, we thank you so much that our life is in your hands. And as we enter this new year, we thank you for 2019, and we thank you for all the ways that you showed your faithfulness to us. And Lord, as we think about you, we do thank you for the circumstances we have. Sometimes they're hard, sometimes they're pleasant. But really, Lord, what we praise you about is who you are and who you promise we are in you and who we are becoming because of your sanctifying work and the grace of your Holy Spirit in us. Lord, we anticipate you. We want more of you today. We want your Holy Spirit to be unhindered in our lives and in this church And we want you to glorify yourself this year through us as a church family and build your kingdom for your glory. In the precious name of Christ we pray, amen.
0: (laughs) Well, welcome here. My name is Terry and I uh, have the privilege of sharing the word most often in this pulpit. And um, boy, that Doug, I sure appreciate Doug. Uh, we, uh, We pray for him and it's good to work together with Doug. But he's so disorganized, eh? I mean, he's, <laughs> I mean, his sabbatical's coming up so soon, and he's, he's only got the four months planned, you know? But uh, I, I admire that about Doug, and I know that he's going to come back with some real real good stories, and so continue to pray for Doug. I also want to remind you, um, this Wednesday, I will be hosting uh, an evening discussion in the common, office common area about the proposed change in our... Uh, requirements for membership and so come if you're interested in talking more about that and uh, we'll discuss it there is also a position paper that the pastors have prepared about that it's at the either the Resource Center or the Welcome Center one of those two places you'll find it and you can hear more about uh, what we are proposing and finally I want to mention next Sunday night some of you have already received an invitation it's called come to the core We're going to meet in this room from 7 till 9 next Sunday evening around tables, and uh, those of you who have received invitations are those who we consider already involved in in some core ministries, but it really is open to anyone, And, and really what it's about is the core leadership of our church coming together to talk about the core vision and ministry plans that we have for the coming four to six months and i'm really looking forward to next sunday evening sharing together and as i said you don't have to be involved in leadership to be coming and just to be part of that uh it's going to be very much a giving and receiving uh in terms of the dialogue and the teaching of that evening so that's next sunday evening <clears throat> well before our advent christmas celebration we were studying the doctrine of the image of god in humans and um Today we're going to continue, and next week we will continue, and then after that we're getting into Genesis chapter 3. And uh, we're moving on to the foundational scripture to talk about the doctrine of original sin. <clears throat> and today, actually, why do we talk about sin? It's not a very popular subject in the 21st century, is it? And that's because we as Christians choose to em- emphasize what God says is important instead of what the world says is important. So we we march to the beat of a different drum, which sometimes puts us out of step with the world and its opinions around many current issues. But as well, it hopefully puts us in step with God and His ways and His way of calling us to a blessed life. And so in the coming weeks, as we get back into Genesis, you will see, starting today and next week, you will see that are many things that the Word of God teaches that are very out of step with what the world is teaching us. I was in, in 2014, I was on a mission trip in India with a group from our church, and I was teaching a past, pastor's conference, and I noticed that one phrase that I that I shared, Biplap was my translator, he, he took longer to translate that. And what I said, I used the, 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 the saying, like out of the horse's mouth or or, uh, straight from the horse's mouth. I use that term, straight from the horse's mouth. And and he's going on and on about this, and I'm thinking, what's what's he saying? (laughs) And so at the end of the session, I went to Biplab, and I said, "Uh, does that not translate in Hindi, or what what did you say? Well, he said to me, well, I I translated by by sharing a story (laughs) from a very well-known Hindu our, sorry, Indian author, Mulana Nasuridin. I'm sure some of you know him well. Um, and the story goes like this. This is what Biplap translated. He said, said uh, one day a farmer uh, stole his neighbor's donkey, and when the farmer noticed it was missing, he went over and asked his neighbor about it at the very Moment that he was asking him they heard the donkey braying out back behind the barn so the farmer said to his neighbor you've got my donkey but the neighbor denied it and he said no who are you going to believe me or the donkey <laughs> Now, I don't know that just caught me really funny as a humorous story and the reason I share it uh, is because as we get into the teaching of Genesis concerning marriage Concerning sexuality and gender concerning sin and brokenness Who will you believe that's the question each one of us are left with who will you believe? will you believe God and the evidence of human experience that it points to or will you believe the many voices in our world that are are writing a different narrative and They're trying to redefine what called what the Bible calls sin or trying to minimize the effects of sin whether it's talking about marriage, gender, or life of the unborn child, and, and a whole host of other themes. And so, obviously, we're going to be talking about these things. I, I think I love what Richard, Richard Niebuhr said, Reinhold Niebuhr, sorry, said that the doctrine of original sin is the only empirically, empirically verifiable doctrine of the Christian faith. I love that. It's empirically verifiable because we all sin. And so we, we, I have a hard time understanding why people can, can still hold to this idea that, no, humanity is at its very core essentially good. I don't know how we can go. Any experience you've had in life will probably not teach you that. If you get married, if you have children, if, if, you, if you work at a place, if you go to school, if you're involved in politics or business, wherever you are, the, the human experience shows that sin's pretty real. C.S. Lewis, I was reading about him over the vacation, and he said that at one point he was appalled at how hardened he was as an atheist before he embraced Christianity. He wrote this in Surprised by Joy. He said, I must have been as blind as a bat not to have seen long before the ludicrous contradiction between my theory of life and my actual experiences. He said that. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that unbelievers are less intelligent than believers. I want to point out, though, that there is a spiritual understanding that is needed for someone to come to bow the knee and acknowledge truth and in Christ. There is illumination of the Holy Spirit. And there is the fact that there is a real enemy, a spiritual force that is so opposed to you accepting the truth of the Bible and accepting the Christ of the Bible. Satan, it says in Second Corinthians 4.4, 4, "This God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel, which is the glory of Christ. And so may the Lord instruct us in his word as we get into some deep waters in the coming weeks and as we unpack what God wants us to understand about human behavior. There are seven aspects of the image of God that I've been walking through, and I guess I should catch up on on this. (laughs) Sorry. Here we go. Um, We've been talking about how we are co-creators with God. Uh, We are... The capacity to work, that's part of our image of God. Co-rulers with God, we have, we're stewards of God's creation. We are rest as well as work. We, just like God rested, we rest. We're built for rest. We're spiritual beings. We're not just bodies. We're souls filled with the breath of God. We are rational, moral beings with the capacity to reason, to feel, to make our own choices and live with those consequences. We are relational beings. That's what we're going to do today. We have the capacity for intimacy. We have the capacity to love and be loved. And so today we're going to talk about relational beings. And then next week we're going to talk about the fact that we are sexual beings. We are... God created us male and female. And we're going to talk about what that means next week. So this morning, um, why is it that we've jumped in and I've talked about sin so early when it's not for two weeks that we're going to be addressing it? Well, it's because I believe that the subject of today and next week, that's where sin is so much manifest. It's in our relationships and it's in our sexuality. We see so much manifestation of sin come out in these two areas. And so... um, I believe that that's what what brokenness in relationship looks like, is because we come with our own broken lives, and broken people can only engage in broken relationships without the redemption and the humility of Christ that can change those relationships. I was I was actually a funny thing happened on Friday. I was in my office, and if you know my office in the corner, I'm looking out the window as I'm typing and doing my sermon and behind me on that wall is the world. And uh, I'm, I'm working away, and all of a sudden, I hear this psh, this bang. And I turn around, and the world fell off the wall. <clears throat> I, we live in a fallen world. I thought, the Lord is teaching me something in my study here. And, and so I went out, because Earl was painting out in the foyer, and, and I said, Earl, the world fell off the wall. And he went in, and he said, I can fix that. So we got someone who can fix the world right in our church. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Is Earl here? Yeah. All right. <laughs> anyway, let's, let's move on. What are we going to do today? We're going to talk about, uh, first of all, uh, I want to talk about how we are created to be relational. As God is relational, I want to examine how broken relationships occur. I don't want to talk about healing. It's, it's a very small task we have today. But let's take, uh, to start with, How are we created to be relational even as God is relational? Contrary to what some might think, God was neither bored nor lonely in heaven before he created the earth and all humanity. God was neither bored nor lonely when he created all that is. God is absolutely complete in himself. He's not insecure. He doesn't need you and I. God... That's why when, when Moses was going to Pharaoh and he said to God, who do I say sent me? God told him, Sell, tell Pharaoh, I am has sent you. I am who I am. And, and that's, that's, that's this idea. That I'm, I'm self-existent. God is the self-existent one. He doesn't need anyone in his life. And so he's not in need of anyone. He's not dependent on anyone or anything. He doesn't need our love and affirmation. To feel worthy of that love and affirmation. He knows himself. He's God. He's got Genesis 1 and 2 on his resume. (laughs) He's God. Incredible God. And so before time began, in eternity past, God was in all of his godness. He hasn't changed. And so because part of who God is, is love, God was love before we came along god did not create humans so he could love or become a loving god god loves that's just who he is it predates all relationships the love of god predates all relationships god is trinity father son and holy spirit And so therefore he lived and existed eternally in the past in a loving, holy, intimate communion, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's why when we open our Bibles and we read in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, he's talking about the Trinity. He's talking about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in this sweet, loving, holy communion, saying, let's put out that love and share that love with creatures that we will make in our image. That's what God did. He's wanting relationship with you and me. In a systematic theology class, I hate to say how long ago, at Acadia Divinity College in Wolfville, Nova Scotia, I remember Dr. Millard R. Cherry was my systematic theology professor, and I remember when it, the day came when we were going to be talking about the attributes of God, and Dr. Millard Cherry was the kind of man that, that when you knew he was serious, he, he was serious. And he put on that serious face, and he walked from behind his desk out toward us as a class. And then he said, with all sobriety, he said, God is holy love. And he repeated it. He said, God is holy love. And then we took the next three classes, I think it was to unpack as many of the attributes of God in two columns. One was the column that has His holiness on it, and the other is the column that has His love, mercy, grace, kindness, goodness, justice, truth, and so on. God is holy love. It was a powerful time for us God is holy love. John Stott says, moved by the perfection of his holy love, God in Christ substituted himself for us sinners. That is the heart of the cross of Christ. Do you know, it was not a dilemma for God to devise a plan by which he could salvage a broken humanity while not compromising neither his love nor his holiness his holiness demanded that sin be judged his love constrained him to seek and to save the lost the solution was that he himself would come down and bear the brunt of sin and express his love to us as humans he did that in his son jesus christ and in a little while when we gather around the lord's table and we partake of the bread and of the cup We are remembering the cross of Jesus, and in that moment we are recognizing that holiness and love meet up. That holiness and love, no compromise of his character and integrity and no compromise of his mercy and grace. That's God in Jesus Christ. And if you and I are going to have healthy and whole relationship, you also and I also cannot compromise neither the love aspect nor the holiness aspect of every healthy relationship. Every relationship that you have ever had has been broken and affected by sin, and if it's going to be whole and healthy, you will need both holiness, which comes with justice and truth and honesty, And love, which comes with forbearance and mercy and grace and all that other stuff. Every relationship for health is going to need both of those. And it's only possible because of a relational God that says, I want relationship with you and my power in you through Jesus Christ can heal every broken relationship. And so, let me read to you a quote from a couple of authors I found. We were created to long for relational connection because God exists in a relationship of love. God designed us to enjoy giving and receiving. He designed us to be for another and receive from another. This is what it means to be a relational being because we bear God's relational likeness. We can commune with God. We also have the capability of connecting with each other in mutually self-flourishing ways. Does your marriage look like a mutually self-flourishing relationship? Do your friendships look like mutually self-flourishing friendships? That's what God created us for. Let's move on and talk about how do we as broken image bearers engage in broken relationships. There are many faces to the marred image of God in us humans. Many, many faces. We could talk all day about the variety of sin and its effects upon humanity. I would like to share with you from some of my experiences, and I want to tell you up front these are pre Winnipeg so you don't need to feel like you're going to be up here somehow in a story and so i want to share two stories today and two stories next week about the marred image of god in us through broken relationships and how it manifests example one john and mary seemed like fun-loving spirit-filled couple with a beautiful young family we met when their children were quite young, John had a strong witness with a group of guys that we played hockey with, leading in regular prayer and Bible study with some of them. Mary was involved in women's Christian women's groups and a prayer ministry that seemed very powerful. And so it came as quite a surprise to me as a pastor when I began to see their marriage and family life crumbling over a period of months. We tried to intervene, but it wasn't long before we could see that Mary was given to over-spiritualizing everything in life that happened and blaming John for his lack of spiritual leadership in the home. That was the problem. John, on the other hand, was becoming a more and more angry man, verbally abusive, impatient with his wife, unwilling to take responsibility for his aggressive behavior. Together, they drained the life out of some of us leader couples in our church, Pat and I included. They sucked the life out of us as we tried to walk alongside of them and their family. And in the end, not only did they divorce and go their separate ways, but somehow they managed to blame us for not helping them enough. Example two. My first impression of Bill, not his real name either, was that he was hiding more than his face behind his long, dark beard. His many years of working on the ships around Porks around the world had provided him with ample opportunity to lose his innocence. His reason for stopping into my office that day was to ask if I would do his fifth step with him. That's when a person admits to God, themselves, and another human being the exact nature of their wrongs throughout their life. The day came for our appointment and i listened to him spew out story after story after story uncensored and raw for about two hours before i thought it's time to take a break it was a powerful day i'll never forget it and i think that the fifth step for bill actually was the beginning of something new bill stayed off of alcohol bill began attending church He eventually professed faith in Jesus Christ. He was baptized. He got married to a Christian woman. And after a couple of years, I truly believed that Bill was a changed man. But he was still wrestling with some demons in his life, one of which was an addiction to pornography. Life seemed to be worsening for him step by step. He separated from his wife, became reclusive, his visits to my office were less frequent. His sponsor told me that it was hard to maintain contact with Bill. And then one day I got a call from Scott, a police sergeant from our church, who informed me that they found Bill. He had shot himself. Now these examples, and so many that I'm sure you sitting in your chair could tell, or I could tell you more, these examples all have a relational root. It doesn't need to go back to mom and dad and the homes that we grew up in. We could certainly describe John, Mary, and Bill in those terms. I could describe sociologically something that happened in their lives. But we don't need any sociological principles to understand that we are all broken people, hurt people, and hurt people hurt people. And broken people are engaging in broken relationships every day. And you and I, every one of us, are part of that brokenness in relationships to some degree or another, bearing responsibility. And so, how is it that we get to the root? In Genesis 1.31, after God had created all that he had made, he said, this is very good. And by Genesis 3, we can see that it's gone bad. Remember, Adam and Eve were not born in a desert. Adam and Eve were born in a paradise, and it wasn't enough. And somehow all of us in, have, have inherited a, a nature that it has an insatiable desire to fulfill oneself. It was meant to be fulfilled in God, yet we instinctively turn to other sources for our joy and fulfillment, trying to live independent of God, Some of the ways that we choose to to please and fulfill ourselves are socially acceptable ways, and some of them are absolutely destructive. Addictions to alcohol or sex or gambling are obviously destructive habits, but addictions to food or coffee or work, well, they fall under the radar in many Christian circles, don't they? The question that God asks is the same question that we're going to study in a few weeks when he asked, Cain, who killed his brother Abel. He said to him, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. God says to every one of us, what is it that's ruling you? That's the question. Who are you a slave to? What is it that rules you, masters you, or seeks to master you? Let's move on to talk Thirdly, about how is it that healing takes place in our relationships through trusting in Jesus Christ? The answer seems so simple, doesn't it? Sounds like a Sunday school question with a Sunday school answer. Jesus is the answer. Nine times out of ten, it was. In Jesus Christ, we see the Lord of the universe. We see the great healer of all brokenness. We see the great forgiver of all who come to him in repentance and faith. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. He stands in the gap for each one of us in our brokenness. He alone can make sense of the tangled mess of sin that we make out of our lives. Abraham Kuyper, a theologian, said this. He said there's not one square inch, not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence, over which Jesus Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine! <laughs> I love that. You see, you belong to Jesus Christ. I want to tell you this morning, you belong to Jesus Christ. He is your Creator and Maker, and He can be your Redeemer, and He can restore the brokenness. He can redeem the past and the lives that have been messed up with sin. And he wants to do that. He walks with you. He wants you to walk with him. You know, we walk into church every Sunday morning, and we present to one another the exact image that we want to present for an hour and a half or two hours just like we do on our Facebook page. We we present to the world that which we want the world to see, though our real reality was left in the car out in the parking lot or left at home before we left. And God says, no, I've got more for you. I want you to go deeper with the community of people that I've put you in. You know, our our church's vision statement is... uh, Sorry, I'm not sure why that's not coming up. Our church's vision statement, it's on the big wall out there in the foyer, is making and nurturing followers of Jesus Christ through healthy relationships. I remember the the meeting on March the 15th, 2011, when the board formally accepted this, and all the weeks leading up to it that led to this creation of this statement and the embracing of it, and every year the re-examining of it to say, are we truly seeking healthy relationship, and is that the best way to make disciples of Jesus Christ? And um, we believe it is, and when we went through that exercise, we identified five core relationships of what healthy relationship looks like. And again, it's not coming up, so I'm going to just tell you about them. But when we did this, we chose the adjectives for each of the five parameters of relationships very intentionally. So first of all, we said that the most important relationship we call people to is an adjective intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The next relationship that we highlighted was our families, and we said we are going to pursue loving relationships in our families. The next relationship we identified was the church family, and we chose the adjective authentic. Authentic relationships with one another in the church family, which, which means that we are seeking to proceed closer into each other in vulnerability, in true honesty, in walking out life together. The very thing that our pride and our sin and our insecurity defies doing, right? And then we talked about caring relationships within our neighborhoods and meaningful relationships with people from other cultures. And Doug organized this several years ago, but how we grow in our intimacy of, and again, this isn't coming up for some reason, But it goes from lower intimacy on one side to a greater intimacy on the other side, and that's what happens in church. If you are newer to White Ridge Baptist Church and know very few people, you will probably be involved in groups that will have a lower level of honesty, intimacy, fellowship, and so on. And then we talked about in our Connecting Points brochure that Doug shared earlier, we have various opportunities where you can say, I'm going to go to that. I'm going to sign up for that. And it might start out that you will have very more, more superficial relationship and friendship. But as you press in and as you move toward one another and as you find those who are more kindred spirit, you can actually find people who are genuinely seeking friendship like you are in Jesus Christ, wanting to grow in Christ likeness. And so together we can do that. And uh, I would encourage you to look at church differently because you've been created in the image of God. You were created to be in relationship because God is a relational God. And God, sovereignly, providentially, I don't know what brought you here. You might have been here for decades. You might have just been here for a week. But whatever brought you here, you're here by God's appointment. And God wants you to dig deeper in relationship because that's the way you're going to grow in Christ's likeness before we gather around the lord's table i want to read one more quote to you i love this It's from a man by the name of gordon crosby and he says this he says the central reality of church is a group of people called to an ever deepening personal belonging of friendship with jesus of nazareth the command is to abide to dwell in him as he dwelt in the father You have an image that Jesus used of total intimacy. But Jesus doesn't give us a deeper relationship with him apart from his body. Jesus does not come alone. He can't because Jesus already has a people. He has a family. And when Jesus comes to us, he always brings his family with him. And then we say no 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 i i just want you what i heard about you jesus is fairly good but what i've heard about your family is not so good i just want you and jesus says i love this he says we come together amen he says we come together you can't just have jesus you are a relational being god created you in his image for that reason and, and when you come to Jesus, you come together with his family. After the service today, I'd invite you, if you'd like some prayer, to meet us in the back there in that corner room, fireside room. There's a sign that says, come to the quiet. And if the sermon today or something in the worship service has stirred up the bottom of your heart, sort of the unsettled stuff, Relational brokenness, or whatever it looks like, and you just want someone to come alongside of you and pray for you. Maybe it's your first vulnerable step into community, into relationship. I would love it if you would meet some of us back there. We'll pray with you and be able to just start a journey together more in community. And so, as we gather around the Lord's table, we have the opportunity to be in community. At this table, the Lord's table it's called, but it's not just Jesus here; it's His family. If you look around, and it's not a Baptist table; it's it's a it's the Lord's table. I have to stand back here so I don't hum. And um, and so I invite you, whether you have been part of our church family for a long time or not, the key relationship is with Jesus Christ. If you believe in Him you are trusting in Him to be your Savior, you trust in Him as the one who, who has died on the cross for your sin and is now your Savior, then I would invite you to partake of this. But I want you to remember, you're not just partaking it as though Jesus alone is your host and just you and Him are in the room because you are with brothers and sisters in Christ, people that, given the opportunity, could be some of your best friends In Christ. Let us pray and then we'll be handing out the bread and cup. Father, we thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of gathering at this table. Lord, we bring to you our brokenness. We cannot come to this table whole or holy. (laughs) We come as sinners. We come needing to meet with you, to be reminded, O oh Christ, that you gave yourself and on that cross holiness and love met. We thank you, O oh Jesus, that through your holiness and love our brokenness can be healed and our relationships also. O oh God, would you meet each one of us as we come to this your table and as we come with our brothers and sisters Help us, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, as, we, as you receive the tray, would you serve the person next to you before you partake of the bread and cup? Because that way, your two hands will be, will be uh, free to take both the bread and the cup. So let's uh, share the Lord's Supper together. Hold on to the bread and the cup until the very end, and then we will partake of it together. Isn't it good to know that broken as we are in ourselves and in our relationships, that we have one who is truly the healer. What he did at the cross proved to all of humanity that would accept that event for its significance, that God can enter our brokenness and and fill us and heal us. And so we partake of this bread and this cup, remembering the humanity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus and, and knowing that he is yet our, our healer. And he's not going to finish, he's not going to stop the work until he's finished with us. And we have this glorious hope. For we will not partake of this bread and cup again, Jesus said when he inaugurated the meal, until I taste of it in my Father's kingdom. We have that hope. And so partake now of the bread and the cup in remembrance of Jesus, and be thankful. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your incredible mercy, for your holiness and love, and we pray that we will will walk with you closely, O God, that we will invite you into every area of our lives. We pray your blessing on this offering as we take it now. In Jesus' name, amen. We take a benevolent offering after the Lord's Supper each month, and we do that now as we wait upon you and have uh, the worship team conclude our service.